Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang syne? For I days. Hey, Tim, can, I, can I interrupt okay. you for just a second? Can I be honest? Since this is a new year, can we be honest with one another? I hate that song. <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, I've hated that song. And Tim, Tim really, he's attached to it, aren't you? Yeah, he, it's sentimental. I, I, I hate it. Anyway, but here's one of the reasons. Even when I was a kid, why I didn't like the song. I love the roots of the song. It's from Scotland. It's, it's about reminiscing about friends. But it's just so, really? I mean, for New Year's? I mean, shouldn't we be singing like, uh, I'm all excited about it, Pointer Sisters? I mean, there, there's got to be something else other than reflection. Now, here's why, and we're going to get into this uh, this morning. I think it's great to reflect. I think it's important to reflect. And I think there are times and seasons in life looking back is important. But I don't think New Year's is one of the times to do that. I think New Year's is we are charging forward. And I read time and time again throughout Scripture, and we are mandated to be moving forward. So let's pray before we get into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we just love you so much. We praise you for this new year. Praise we go out, Spirit-driven, Lord, that we'll allow you truly to be in control. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. This morning, for just a few moments, uh, because I realize again that it is New Year's, uh, I just want to take a few moments to issue a warning and then talk about a wrestling match. So first of all, the warning. Take your scriptures and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Now here's the warning, and I, this is a scripture I'd love for you to mark. Very important. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10. Do not say, is a scripture up here? Let's read this together. This is good. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. The good old days. It's easy to talk about the good old days. One of my favorite songs growing up was a song by Bruce Springsteen called Glory Days. And that song is about running into an old buddy, and they started reminiscing, and his old buddy pitched, was a pitcher on the high school baseball team, but he still was living in high school. Do you have a friend like that that is still living in high school, or they're still living in college, and that's all they ever talk about. And all they talk about is the good old days. And my mother-in-law has a famous line, I love it. It says, the good old days weren't always good. And that's true. Now, I know some of you are young here, but for those of you that are my age and older, did anybody here grow up without air conditioning? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Those weren't good old days. I really don't care what anybody says. You know, I remember running around the summer and lake and fishing and playing ball with my buds and coming in, sweating like a pig. And do you remember at night in August? Was that gross or what? You just, you'd sweat there in a puddle. And what's interesting, my mom and my sister, as soon as I got to college, they moved uh, to another town. They didn't, weren't leaving me, but they moved to another town. First thing my mom got, air conditioning. Never went back. We easily can easily dwell on the good old days, and that's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be, even reflecting about Sherwood Oaks. It's so easy sometimes to look back and say, oh, those were the good old days. 
You know, I remember being on Winslow. How many here were back in that journey, part of the Winslow? I, sometimes I drive by there, and it's kind of sad. I think, oh, the good old days. And then I remember the truth. Oh, wait a second. I remember driving a bus with junior high kids across the street to the YMCA. Those were not good old days. You know what I'm saying? We need to be so careful that in our reflections, we try to remember something that necessarily wasn't true. And also realize Christ has given us the power and the spirit to move forward. So this morning, I just simply want to look at a wrestling match. Because as I was praying through this message, I thought, what is something on New Year's Day that I need to be reminded of? And this was a text that came to mind, and it's in Genesis chapter 32, if you want to turn over there with me. Genesis chapter 32. And just to give you a little historical background, because it's so important as we head into this wrestling match in Genesis 32, of course, it's Jacob who wrestles that night at Unforgettable Night with God. But here's what we need to know about Jacob. You know that he was a twin, and that his other brother was Esau, and Esau was the older brother. And when Esau was born, because of the Hebrew culture, two things automatically happened. Number one, he would receive the birthright. Number two, he would receive the inheritance or the blessing of his family. But we know that Jacob was conniving, and that he took away the birthright, and that his mother and Jacob together actually took away the blessing from Esau. Now here's what's amazing. Because of that deceit, here's what happened from that point forward. Jacob never saw his mother again. He was in exile. His brother wanted to kill him. His family was torn by strife. He became an exile. He worked seven years to marry the woman that he loved, only to find out it was the wrong woman. He worked another seven years to get the woman that he did love. For 20 hard years of labor, he worked and then he was basically thrown off the island. And when he was thrown off the island by his father-in-law with all of his family members, you'll never guess where he was making his journey to, to find his brother Esau. Now, can you imagine after 20 years plus what that would have been like, knowing you're going to come face to face with the brother that you have taken his birthright and his blessing away? So that's the background. Now you know what's going on when as he's moving the family, he says, before I meet my brother tomorrow, I need to spend the night with God. I need to be on my knees. And as he is pleading with God, he encounters God up close and personal. Now some scholars, it's interesting, say that was just an angel. Some scholars said, no, it was actually a symbolism that he was wrestling with all this anxiety. I truly believe because of the phrase the phraseology throughout this text, that this was God in the flesh. That God showed up and he wrestled Jacob that night. And there are three mandates, three truths from this wrestling match that I think apply to us this morning as we go into the new year. Mandate number one, if you're taking notes, God is patient. Can I have an amen for that? I don't know how you are in your relationship this morning, coming in this morning with God, but I am so thankful that he is patient with me. And here's the good news, he's patient with you. And he was patient with Jacob. How patient? Well, he was willing to wrestle with him all night because he knew that in these vital moments, Jacob has to come to the realization that number one, that God can restore him, but he can't restore him until first he breaks him. Here's a quote that I love about patience. It says, patience is accepting a difficult situation 
without giving God a deadline to remove it. Don't we do that a lot? God, I've got this huge problem in my life. I've been wrestling with you for a while. I need answers, and I need it by noon Friday. And God doesn't work that way. In fact, we're promising his word, 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, which is this. The, to the Lord, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. As Jacob was wrestling God that night, here's what he realized. Something has got to change. And when we wrestle with God over tough, tough decisions, we come to the conclusion something's got to change. Some of you came in here this morning and you're wrestling with God right now. You're trying to make a really big decision in your life. And you're in this season where you're pleading for answers. And we have this promise. God is patient. He's patient with all of us. Leonard Ravenhill, who in the 20th century was a kind of a modern day prophet and evangelist, said this. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. In other words, don't miss the struggle. Don't walk away from the struggle with God thinking, I'm not getting anything out of this. You're going to come away with an incredible, incredible advantage because you realize God's in control. Here's the second life lesson that's so critical. God is still breaking us for his purpose. If you look down in that text, verse 25 did you notice after he wrestled what God did? It said, he, uh, it said he could not overcome him, and then he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, is that scripture telling us that God could not overcome Jacob? Not at all. God could do whatever he wanted. He's God. But God allowed him in this struggle to just fight and work through this, and through the sweat, and through the agony, he came to the realization God was in control. Because what did he do? He didn't break his finger. He didn't pull a joint. It said he completely dislocated his hip socket. Now, if you've ever talked to a surgeon, they'll tell you that hip socket is a powerful socket in the body. I mean, sometimes it takes like a car accident to knock your hip socket out because it's that firmly indebted. Now, what he's doing is he's saying, guess what, Jacob? You're not in control. And from the rest of your life, every step you take is a reminder, the pain that you have, that you're not in control. I'm in control. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, because I like to watch movies, I notice that there are symbols sometimes, I call them iconic images that come through movies. And one of those is a rock. I don't know if you thought through movies and TV how often rocks are used. For example, It's a Wonderful Life. Any of you watch that again? We've watched it like 73 times. It comes up every Christmas. And you remember the scene where George and his wife-to-be are throwing rocks at the home they're going to live in? Do you remember uh, Andy Griffith's show where Opie's whistling and carrying the pole and he throws the rock at the lake? And the scene I remember so pointly, do you remember in uh, Forrest Gump when Jenny took the rock and she threw it at the very house where her father had abused her? There's something symbolic about a rock. And there's something very symbolic about a rock in my life. And it was a defining moment for me. I was 17 years old. I'd come off a of church camp. I had rededicated my life. But I just was living in this world where I, I wanted to be a Christian. But another day I'd wake up and go, but man, I sure like doing the stuff I used to do. And I just kind of went back and forth. And I know you have a hard time believing this, but in the neighborhood, I kind of was the... Um, 
I don't know what the right word. I was a sinner, okay? And I would gather my friends, and we would do stupid things. Nothing like really illegal, just a little illegal. But anyway, we would all get together. So one night, it was a school night, bored stiff, and we started reminiscing. I think we started singing Tim's song. But anyway, we started reminiscing about the old days. So do you remember when we were kids, and we used to corn cars? Now, I know none of you have ever done that, but we used to corn cars and run. Uh, Randy Stengemuller has. He's nodding his head. Good, Randy. Good for you. Okay, so uh, corn cars. I said, remember we used to ring doorbells? And we went through this whole thing and said, let's do that tonight. So we started ringing doorbells all around the neighborhood and then uh, walking around. And I lived on this pretty good-sized hill, and we were coming down the hill, and we were going to corn some cars. And as we're coming down the hill, my buddy said, I wonder if you could take a rock and throw it far enough to hit a car coming down at the bottom of that hill. And I said, well, that'd be stupid. He goes, well, you probably can't throw it that far. So I picked up a rock, and I saw it was a sports car, black Camaro, I think, and, and it was, you could see about a mile away, and see the lights coming, 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 and I just unleashed this throw. And then I heard this wham, and then I heard the brakes, and then you do what all the kids do, you scatter, and you run through the backyards, and that's what we were doing. And as we're hiding in one of the backyards, I was with one of my buddies, and I said, I think I'm getting caught tonight. And he said, we've never got caught. I said, I know. Isn't that weird? But I think I'm going to get caught. And so I walk up to the yard, and there is a very irate guy in my driveway yelling at my mom, asking her where I'm at. And uh, I found out later that one of my buddies' little brother, there's always a little brother, panicked, and instead of running, walked on the road. Now, I, I, have, I hold no bitterness towards him. I, I don't even remember his name, Keith Kriminger. But anyway, <laughs> my mom, the look in her eyes, I'm telling you, it was, it was terrible. And my mom said, he really is a good boy. She used the word boy. He's a good boy. And he goes, no, ma'am, he's a juvenile delinquent. And because of you, I'm not going to call the police, but you're going to pay for this scratch on this car. And then she did the worst thing. It's the worst thing that any mother can do. You know what that is? She didn't say a word to me. Have you been there? She just walked inside. I'm like, man, yell at me, scream at me, you know, throw the cat at me, do something. But you can't just not say anything. The next day, silence. Finally, she broke the silence and said, you know, last night, you drug the Robertson name through the mud. And then another two days of silence. And I remember during that silence, God and I had a lot of long talks. And the talks went everywhere from blaming the little guy that tattled on me to, I'm such an idiot, I'm 17 years old, I'm throwing rocks at cars, to why am I playing this game with you, God? And finally, there's a peace that came through all of that, wrestling with God, and here was the peace. Whatever your mom decides, take it like a man, don't act like a boy. And my mom sat down and she said, well, I've been praying. That's, that's a scary thing when a mom prays. And she goes, here's the decision. And Some of you moms have probably done this. She said, for the rest of your junior year, now this was October, for the rest of your junior year, during the weeknights, when the streetlights come on, you're coming in. Oh, that's fun. I want you to think when you were 17. I said, okay. She said, and one other thing, on weekends, when I allow you, I'll let you go out one weekend night. You will be home by 11 because you can repeat this with me, nothing good happens after midnight. So my mom said, let's move it back to 11. 
Oh, that's great. And she goes, but there's one exemption. Anything going on at church, I don't care what time you get in, you can do whatever you want at church. You know what? I was so devoted to the youth group, you can't imagine. <laughs> but you know when my mom lined all those things out, you know how I replied at the end of it all? Yes, ma'am. And I, I can honestly tell you, that's the day everything changed for me. It changed because after wrestling with God, I realized when I'm in control, I don't do so well. How about you? When you're wrestling with God and you're, you're almost battling God, like, I know better. Ultimately, what's the conclusion you come to? He knows better. God is not only patient, but we need to understand that through the patience, God allows us to hurt. If you don't hear anything else, would you please write this quote down by A.W. Totzer? I just cannot get it off my heart. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And you know what? I believe that's true. Think of the times you've grown the closest to Christ, and it usually never comes out of comfort. When does it come? When you've been hurt. Why? Because you realize God is in control. Here's the last point this morning. The last lesson is simply this. God is still the ultimate game changer. In verses 26 through 32, we see that Jacob does something really interesting. His hips out of the joint, he's, you can imagine how exhausted he is, and yet he's clinging on basically to God, and he says, you have to bless me. Now here's what's interesting. He knows what it is to have an illegitimate blessing. He's done that already. I mean, he's already deceived others to get blessings. That's not what he's calling out for. He wants a godly blessing. He wants a blessing beyond his life. He wants a legacy blessing. And God finally sees his heart, and he does something really interesting. He changes his name. He said, no longer will you be Jacob, and the name Jacob means in Hebrew, the deceiver. You will be called what? Israel. And the name Israel simply means God rules or God prevails. Matter of fact, I look in a name book, and the name Israel today means wrestling with God. Isn't that awesome? God still is in the game-changing business. And he's in the game-changing business for everybody here today. First of all, I want you to know that he wants to change the game for Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. I talked about how important it is not to dwell on the good old days because I am so excited what's coming in 2012. About a month ago, you probably remember, Tom issued a challenge. And he said, here's what's coming this year. And I encourage all of you to pick up the more to know because it's in bold print here. But I want you to know that there's some huge challenges laying before us. But here's the biggest one, that we want to increase our giving and raise $5 million this year to eliminate the debt. And I remember a few weeks ago in staff, I love what Tom said. He goes, you know what scares me a little bit about that challenge? It's going to take God to work through us to make that happen. And I love that. It's going to take God for us to step up and realize that he's still changing the game today. But for some of you this morning individually, I just want to encourage you that God is calling us beyond resolutions to lose weight, to watch less TV, or to dwell on the past. He wants something far greater than that. In 2012, i got to challenge you, if you have a repeated sin in your life, it is time to quit. 
If you have a relationship that is ungodly and it's toxic, it is time for you to move on. If you are living for yourself and you are in a spiritual rut, get out of it and start serving others. I've told my kids time and time again that there are three kinds of people. They're in this room this morning and they're in every group I've ever been in. The three groups are this. There are those who make things happen. There are those who let things happen to them. And there are those who just wonder what's happening. Make something happen. In 2012, God has called us as a church, and he's called each every one of you as an individual to make something happen. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said, that if you cannot fly, then run. And if you cannot run, then walk. And if you cannot walk, then crawl. But you have to move forward. And I'll tell you something this morning. All of us this morning are somewhere in this vortex, somewhere in this dialogue that Jacob had with the Heavenly Father. Some of you came here this morning and you right now, you are wrestling with God. Man, you do not know what's next and you're scared and I understand that. For some of you, you're coming out of that wrestling season and you are hurt. You're limping and you're moving forward, but 2011 has been a painful year. And for some of you, you're on the blessing side of things. You realize what God's doing in your life. And you know what I found in my life? That pattern happens time and time again. I wrestle with God. I go through the pain. I sense his blessing. And you know what? That will never end to the day that I take my last breath. Wherever you're at this morning, I challenge you to surrender to God. So we're going to do something a little bit different with our invitation this morning. And with our invitation this morning, as Tim is playing, on this side, if somebody would just like to come and pray with someone, there'll be somebody here to pray with you. But some of you as individuals may want to come over here in this front row, this front pew too. Would you just come forward and just pray individually as you approach this new year? This week, I got a chance with Danielle and my wife Marie, and we went and saw the movie, We Bought a Zoo. And there's a quote from that movie that I'd like to share with you. As a father sitting down with his son, he said this, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come from it. Maybe this morning you just need the courage to step up and pray as you approach 2012.